powerful worship this morning, guys. Thank you. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God in need of anything we can give. We probably should just recite that every morning when we get up, just to remind ourselves that He is God and we are not. And it's the way it should be. For those of you who are uh, with us for the first time today, welcome. We have been uh, we've been studying together. We walked through the book of Daniel, and we've been spending some time in the last few weeks uh, sort of touching on those prophets who wrote to Israel while they were in Babylon. It's Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, As they come out of Babylon, it will be some of the minor prophets. It's Daniel himself. But today I want to talk to you about going home. You see, at the end of the 70 years that they were destined to stay in Babylon, they went home. Well, not exactly. Some of them went home. Now, is it true that there is no place like home? Doesn't that depend on your home? There is no place like home if home was a good place, right? For Israel, as they are getting ready to leave at the end of that 70 years captivity, 68 years, Cyrus shows up, takes over Babylon, it takes a couple more years to get them home. The end of that 70 years of captivity, when they finally are going home, they're going home to a place that's desolate. They're going home to an archaeological site. They're going home to the scene of a fire and a war. They're going home to the scene of pillaging and destruction. They, they, They systematically burned down the houses of the wealthy and the powerful because they couldn't get them to stop rebelling. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem and tore its walls physically down because they could not get them to stop rebelling. They burned the temple to the ground. So they're going home. But home's kind of a mess. Anybody ever gone to it? Don't say it. Don't answer. Gone home to a home that was kind of a mess. And I'm not talking about, you know, your, your 15-year-old's clothes on the, on the couch. How they got there, you'll never know. But there they are. I'm talking about a home that's just been destroyed by something. Physical, personal, emotional. That's what Israel's going home to. That's what they're being sent home to. So as we set this in context today, let's not think that they're going home to a, to a white picket fence and, and a puppy in the front yard and a welcome sign on the front door. They're going home to start over. They're going home to start from the ground up. 
This morning, I want to just uh, take you uh, to a couple of things to get some context. Um, when Cyrus arrives, we get a thus saith King Cyrus in Second Chronicles 36. That's the, the first line is actually part of the text. All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, as he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is Judah, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord, his God, be with him and let him go up. Does that sound like a pretty open invitation for anybody who wants to go? Nod like this or like this. Okay, good, good. I'm just looking for, you know, involvement. Make sure you're still with me already. I want you to catch that last line. He's saying, from all the kingdoms that I'm in control of, any who is among this, among God, of, of the, uh, anyone, anyone living there who is one of the people of God, may the Lord God be with him and let him go up. So, like, may God be with you, all of those of you who are Israelites, all of those who are from the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, who Nebuchadnezzar brought here to Babylon, you're welcome to go home. Anybody, all of you are welcome to go home. So who went home? Ezra 1, chapter 5, the heads of the fathers of the house of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, and all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So why did they go home? To rebuild the temple on the invitation of Cyrus. And note who went home. The heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites. One more caveat. With all whose spirit God had moved, arose, went home. So in that group, we have leaders of the families. We have specifically those whom God has moved upon, right? And they go home. So you think everybody goes home? Do you think everybody should have gone home? Do you think some of them needed to stay? The whole assembly together who went home. Now, I, I spared you all the delineations of this family and all these people and this family and all these people. This, this is the end of that chapter after all these people are enumerated. Okay? The whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides the male and female servants of whom there were 7,337. And they had 200 men and women singers. So anybody do the math yet? Can we say about 45,000 people went home? Seems like a good number, right? You're starting a nation. You got 45,000 people. It was better than Abraham and, and Sarah, right? They started with two. They got 45,000 to start over with. Seems like a reasonably good number. And that 45,000 is probably, it's a guesstimate, is probably... Between one-tenth and one-quarter of those who lived in Babylon. A tithe to a quarter went home. A tenth to a quarter went home. Are you disappointed in them? First time I read these texts, first time I looked at this number of people, I said, man, why didn't more people go home? What's wrong with these people? There's only 
only 45,000 go home. There could, there was, the estimates are between 200,000 and 500,000 people living in Babylon who were, who were Jewish. And between a tenth and a quarter of those people went home. Would you have gone home? Don't have to tell your neighbor, just think about it. Would you have gone home? The place isn't pretty. The dog died. Fence has been destroyed. Welcome sign was stolen 25 years ago. All the windows are out of the house. In fact, some, some people were living in there and set it on fire one day and it burned down. None of the pictures of Grandma are hanging on the walls anymore. Would you have gone home? What is it that makes home home? Is it a physical place? Is it a spiritual connection? Is it the people? Would you have gone home? Some things to think about. The first return under Shezbazar or Zerubbabel. The guy's name was Shezbazar. When he got to Israel, he decided to make it easier. Zerubbabel. I love the fact that if you try to put this name on the back of a shirt, it's not going to fit. Shezbazar or Zerubbabel, he's the leader of the group that went home after about 70 years. That's the 45,000. He's the leader who takes that group home, gets started with everything, tries to get things built up. That's him. That's Shezbazar or Zerubbabel. The second group goes with Ezra 148 years after the captivity started. So if you have lived 70 years or more, would you raise your hand? Be proud. Don't, this is not something to be ashamed of. Be proud. Go ahead. Raise your hand if you've lived several years. Come on, Josephine. Thank you. In the years that you have lived, has a lot changed? Yeah, just count back 70 years from now. If you went back from here, 70 years, where would you be? What was going on then? You're just after World War II. 70 years is a long time. A lot of things have changed in the 70 years. When the, when, uh, when the POWs went home from, uh, from Germany or from, from other places in Europe back to Germany for, to, re, to, to reestablish their homes, what did they find? Destruction. The thing had, things had been bombed flat. When people went back to their homes in several of the islands spread across the Pacific, what did they find? Burned flat, burned to the ground. Brenda and I went uh, to uh, Corregidor, which is an island at the entrance to the bay that is the, the primary bay in the Philippines of Manila. Okay? That, that, there's an island out that sort of sits at the head of the entrance to this bay. Extremely strategic place. Great pr- place to protect that, that, whole, that whole bay. We went there and took a tour. And as we went around on the tour of this thing, they took us around and they kind of showed us what was there. And they said to us, the island after the war was absolutely denuded of any vegetation. Because before that, there had been a a, a bombing by the Japanese to remove the Americans and the Filipinos from the island. 
And so they bombed it and bombed it and bombed it and bombed it until finally they surrendered. Remember, that's MacArthur leaving the island saying, I shall return. By the way, there were two sides of that island. There was a Navy port on one side and there was an army dock on the other side. He wouldn't leave from the Navy port because MacArthur was not Navy. Kind of weird what people do, isn't it? Then the Americans came after the Japanese had taken over the island and they bombed it. And whatever vegetation or anything that was left on the island, they completely finished wiping it out. So he said the island was completely empty of any vegetation. There were hardly any buildings. In fact, there were no buildings that didn't have some damage and most buildings were heavily damaged. When we went there, they had rebuilt a bunch of it and the plants had grown back. That wasn't even 70 years. So imagine if Israel has been decimated for 70 years. There are flowers and plants and trees. There could be a 70-year-old tree growing up in your living room when you get home. That's not a little tree. Lots of things change in 70 years. Those of you who are are in your 70s, you got any great-grandchildren yet? You think about it, you could be three or four generations of people who were born in Babylon in 70 years. You could be 69 years old and have never seen Israel. It's a big deal to think about going home. A lot of time has passed just in the first one. 148 or 160 years by the time Ezra and then Nehemiah go back to restore the wall. It's a long time long time. Would you go home? Would you have gone home? Judah was settled in Babylon and they had been treated favorably during those seven decades. Thanks to Daniel and others like him, they they had pretty good treatment from the kings. The leaders of of Babylon had treated them well. They had homes and property and they had been able to, to really prosper while they were living in Babylon. This wasn't the Egyptian slave exodus. This is a, we're pretty comfortable here, exodus. This is a, things are okay here for us, exodus. This is a voluntary, do you want to go back to Judah? Do you want to go back to Jerusalem kind of an exodus? Would you leave your comfortable, nice home where three generations of your family have lived to go to a country that was destroyed by war and rebuilt. You see, I kind of looked at these 45,000 people and went, man, what a bunch of lamos. Everybody else stayed home? Only 45,000 of them went? What's wrong with these other people? And then I started thinking about it. Would I have gone home? Would I have done? These 45,000 people, they're, they're kind of heroic. When you get right down to it, Judah had multiplied, and they're likely, as I said to you before, between 200 and 500,000 Jews there by this time. Remember when you read the biblical count of how many people were sent? They only count men. They don't count women and children. So when they say, well, this many people went, they're not counting the women and children that went with them. They're just counting the men that were sent. So multiply by at least two, 2.5, 3 to get a more accurate number of how many were taken. And then just think of how long it takes to have children and how many children they used to have per family. 200 to 500,000 may be a, a, 
a kind of a mild estimate. Three or, four gener- three or four generations have been born. A person in his lake city, 60s could have been born there. Very few who remember Jerusalem are even still alive. The last group taken in captivity is at least five decades ago. There are very few who remember Jerusalem who are even still alive. The heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirit God had moved arose to go up build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. Again, the priests and the Levites. Don't you? They're going back to build the house of the Lord. They are out of work. They got no job. What does a priest and a Levite do in Babylon? There's no job. There's no work. They're not making, they're not having sacrificial animals over there. There's no temple over there. There's nothing going on for them. These are guys out of work. So the unemployed went home. I like the second group. With all those whose spirit God had moved. With all those whose spirit God had moved. God called a group of people to go home. God called the group of people to rebuild from the destruction that had taken place. God called a group of people to do what needed to be done so that the, so that the testimony of Israel wouldn't go completely out. Is God calling you to go home? Is God calling you to some rebuilding ministry, some reestablishment of something in your own home, in your own family, in some other place? Is God calling you to go home? See, one group went home because it seemed natural for the priests and the Levites. If you're going to build the temple, they need to go. But is God calling any of us to go home? To go reestablish out of the destruction that has gone before something so that his testimony in a place doesn't die out? Is he calling us to go home and have a conversation with somebody that we've been putting off for years, decades maybe? Is he calling us to set something right that we messed up or that someone else messed up? To go in and take our 10% of the wrong and say, okay, I, I, I did some wrong things. Is God calling us to go back and rebuild on the foundation that's been destroyed? Cut down the tree growing up in the living room and rebuild something. Is God calling us to go home? Is God calling you? Is he calling me to reset something so that the testimony of God in some corner of this planet doesn't die out? Why do you suppose there's no longing for home? Why didn't 200,000 people who had been longing for Jerusalem just rush to the borders and head out? Why did it take almost two years to get them gathered up to take them home? Because Babylon was home. 
By now it is their home. By now it is what feels comfortable, what feels normal. By now it's their place. Babylon was all they knew. 50 to 70 years since the last person came. Why stay? It's all they wanted. I just want you to, to, to let some of this sink in spiritually. It was all they knew and it was all they wanted. Some were called to stay. Right? Daniel was called to ministry for the 70 years he was in Babylon. Daniel was less a captive than a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist. Sure, he, he didn't plan on this missionary journey, but God had. God knew what his role was going to be. Daniel was called to ministry in that time. Nehemiah, 141 years later, is ministering to Artaxerxes. You know, Xerxes and Artaxerxes are only famous because of uh, some movies about the, the battles between the Persians and the Greeks. He's working for the guy. Nehemiah's working for Artaxerxes. He's the cupbearer, which doesn't mean that he's his cook or something like that. It means he's the guy standing next to the king. He's the guy so trusted that he tastes the king's food. You may not think that's a big deal, but if you're trying really hard not to get poisoned, he's an important guy. And if he's trying really hard not to get poisoned, he's paying attention to what gets fed to the king. He's an advisor standing right next to the king. 141 years later. So that means that, that he's like four generations, three or four generations after a group went home. And he's still there working. He's still there doing what God called him to do and being what God called him to be. Can you be called to stay in Babylon? Just read the slide. Did God leave? Did God go back to Judah? Yes and no. Sure, he went back to Judah. As long as his people went back to Judah, he went back to Judah. But as long as there were his people in Babylon, he stayed in Babylon, right? God stayed. He didn't just leave, just abandon them. In spite of whatever reason, they stayed. Some people stayed in Babylon because they liked it better than the prospect of going home. They liked it better than the prospect of the discomfort of going and rebuilding. They liked it better. They loved this place. They had grown to, to, to enjoy living here. They didn't want to go home. They didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. They didn't want to go back to Israel. They didn't want to go back to being those people on the road who testified every time somebody went by. They didn't want to be that group. They didn't want to do it. They stayed for completely selfish reasons and God still didn't abandon them. Or us. 
God stayed in Babylon. Do you know, you can abandon God, but he never abandons you. You can walk away from God, and you can walk away from God, and you can walk away from God. And you know what happens? He follows you. You keep walking away, he just keeps following. You wander off to some place where you think you can get away from God, and he's just there. Every time you think you've gotten away, he's still there. I used to think, we had this picture. People used to teach that God didn't go with you places. That's a bad theology about God. And if you have a bad theology about God, you have a bad God. You have a bad religion. Because if, if you get all mixed up in the front end about who God is, if you have that picture all messed up, then the rest of your religious behavior gets all out of whack. In fact, if you're... I, I, I read something this week. I actually, I actually posted it on Facebook. If, you're, if your understanding of God, if your basic theology of who God is, if you're misunderstanding the character and the heart and the passion of God on the front end, the more devout you become to that messed up picture, the worse off you are. You understand? If you believe that God is manipulative, the more devout you become, the more manipulated or manipulative you become. If you believe God is cranky and mean and angry, the more devout you become, the more cranky, mean, and angry you become. If you've got a messed up front-end picture of God, if you have a messed up understanding of the character and the heart and the passion of God, then the more committed you become to that, the more messed up you get. God didn't leave Babylon. God didn't abandon his children because they didn't go home. Would you? You see, this is our problem. We, we acclaim things for the heart of God that we would never do to our own kids. If your kid decided to move to Alaska because they didn't want to talk to you anymore, would you just completely forget about your kid? I mean, they told you, Mom, Dad, don't call me. I don't want to talk to you. Would you say, okay, you're off my prayer list. Check. Done with you. If, you. if you would do that, there's something messed up about your thinking about how this works. And if you have done that, maybe this is the calling home that God has put you forward for. The rebuilding on some destroyed foundations. If you were the kid who went to Alaska... Act like E.T. Phone home. God never abandons his children. It's not in his heart. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've strayed, we are not out of the reach of the passion and grace and love of God. Amen. God didn't leave Babylon, and he didn't leave them in Babylon. They left themselves. They stayed. Some of them stayed for good reasons. Some of them were called to stay. Some of them stayed for bad reasons. They just didn't want to go home. They were too lazy. They were too uncommitted. They didn't really love God that much, but he did not leave them. And by the way, he didn't leave the Babylonians either. 
because the Jews were not his only children. And neither are the Christians. God is passionately seeking a relationship with every human being on the planet. You and I have an amazing relationship that we can tell them about. This is what Jesus is like, and this is what he, this is what he can show you and teach you and help you with. What, what a great gift. Esther stayed. Do you remember the story, right? This, this young woman, her parents had both died. Orphan. She was adopted by her uncle Mordecai, which, best we can tell, didn't have any children or a wife. So it appears she was raised by this old bachelor guy, who, when you read the text, is pretty stubborn. You know, he's unwilling to do some things that would make life a lot easier for him if he would just relax and do them. She's apparently extremely beautiful. When the king kicks out his wife, they go looking for a new one. They go through the kingdom to find the most beautiful women in the, in the community, and she gets picked. That's quite the beauty contest to be a part of, don't you think? People are hand-picking a person for the king. Remember these kings. These are the guys who can... Have your house torn down, have you cut up into little pieces, turn your house into an ash heap, guys. You don't want to kind of bring him somebody he's going to be unhappy with. So she's probably extremely attractive. She goes through a year of beauty treatments, oils and spices. Wouldn't you look like a pickle after that? (laughs) If you got soaked in oil and spices all year, wouldn't you look like a, a gherkin? I don't know. I, you, glad I don't have to do it. There are really good things about being a guy, fellas. That is one of them. No oiling and spicing. She gets chosen out of all the women taken. She's the woman who the Bible says pleased the king takes her as his queen. Here's a whole discussion there that we're not going to have, but you ought to think about. She got volunteered to to be the wife of a pagan king, emperor. Probably really glad he had a harem. And then that day came when his second-in-command, Haman, decided he was going to have all the Jews killed off. And he talked the king into letting him do it. They set a date. This is the day. We're going to kill them all. And she goes in. You remember the story? Do you remember what happened right before that story? Do you remember she didn't want to go? She told her uncle, I can't go. I can't just barge into the king if I, if I do that. He, he can kill me. If he doesn't hold out his scepter and welcome me in, I'm just going to get my head removed from my shoulders. I don't want to do that. Do you remember what he said to her? 
He says, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. We forget that part. It's like the three Hebrews standing before the fiery furnace saying, you know, king, our God could save us. If he doesn't, oh, well. He says, look, God's not going to let all of his people be destroyed. Because you know why? Mordecai knew God hadn't left Babylon. Yet who knows? Who knows? Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom 130 years since the captivity started. Who knows whether you were called to this moment? Who knows whether this is the reason you are here today, Esther? Who knows whether this is the reason you exist? Who knows whether this is your calling? The moment when God lays his hand on you and says, this is why, this is what I want you to do. This is the moment. Step out, Esther. Who knows if you were called to the kingdom for such a time as this? You see, people left and went home and people stayed. And God used both of them. People had good reasons for going home and probably some had bad reasons. And people had good reasons for staying and probably some had bad reasons. But God used both of them. Why? Because God is God and that's what he does. Because he's gracious and merciful and loving toward his children. And he's constantly drawing us to a closer walk. You may be wandering out here so far away from God, you don't want to go home for all your own selfish reasons. But as God calls you and moves you and the Holy Spirit pulls on your heart, you begin to change and that heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is put back in. And he begins to write his law on your heart and some transformations take place. And now there's a good reason for you to be left behind. Now there's some good things that you can do. You see, God isn't finished just because we made a decision. He doesn't quit because we decided to stay in Babylon. God doesn't give up because we made a wrong decision or a wrong turn. God doesn't stop. God doesn't stop being God because of the choices that his people make. There is something he is challenging you today to do. There is something he is calling you today to do. And you can ignore him and he'll call you again tomorrow. And you can surrender to him. And who knows what you might be called to do. What about us? This is all we know. Is it all we want? You see, there is a promised land to be had. It has never suffered destruction. There's a picket fence made of pearls around it. There's a dog who doesn't bark bark at the neighbors in the front yard. And there's a red carpet And there's a sign on the door that says, welcome home. Because Jesus 
has built a place where we could go. He's gone ahead and he's established Jerusalem. And he's established a home. He's established a place for each one of us. Sure, this is all we know. But this isn't home. This is all we know. It's all we've ever felt. It's all we've ever experienced. And sure, there's some awesome things about it. There's some amazing things that happen here to us. Do you remember the first time you, 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 the first time you kissed your spouse? I do. Wow. Fireworks. Crazy stuff going on inside yourself. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time that you held a newborn baby? Do you remember the first time you held your own? Do you remember the first time? Do you remember the first time you knew you loved someone? Do you remember the first time you knew there was a bigger purpose in the world than just yours? Did you, do you remember the first time you understood that the God of heaven actually, actually cared about you? There are some amazing things about this planet. Sunsets and sunrises and waterfalls and redwood trees. There's some fantastic things about this place, but it's not home. There's some transformational, amazing experiences here, but it's not home. There's some some things that I love. But this isn't home. This is all I know. But I also know it's not home. So what about us? Do we want to go home? I mean, seriously? We can stay if we want. God is in that other home. He won't quit calling us. He won't quit calling us. So long as this earth still exists. But at some point, maybe sooner than we think, Sin will will cease. And when it does, so does this planet. But at that point, I'd like to be on that train that goes home. Let's pray.